Amen. First Peter chapter 3 is going to be our text this morning. I mentioned already that, of course, it's Father's Day. I, I didn't have to tell you that. You knew that it was Father's Day. I hope you knew that it was Father's Day. But we want to take a moment to just to honor our dads today. And so uh, as, we, as we begin the message, it's going to be somewhat ironic and, and perhaps even a little bit humorous, I suppose, on, on some level. This is just God's sense of humor, I think, and the Lord's timing, because I promise you I didn't plan it this way, that we are studying a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3 where God is speaking to wives and husbands, and we're, we're, we're going to study this text on wives submitting to their husbands, and, and, and all the men are like, well, yeah, that's the perfect Father's Day passage to study, but I promise you as we dig in and study this text today, what you're going to find is this beautiful picture of how our lives inside of our faith and especially inside of marriage become a picture of the gospel and the relationship that we have by faith with Jesus and the way that marriage models that beautiful picture for us and also the way that we respond together as husbands and wives and, 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 and how that reflects the, the church and Christ and the way that the Lord has put this to work, uh, put all this together to work inside of his, his design for our lives. It's a beautiful picture that I think will come out in the, in the passage of text today. But being that it is Father's Day, let us first begin just by saying, dads, we honor you today for all that you do in, uh, in, in supporting your families, leading the way, in influencing the lives of not only your children, your wife, those around you, but even just people in your network for the sake of the gospel. We celebrate you today and, and we are proud of you. And more than that, we want to spur each other on as dads, as men. We want to encourage one another and spur each other on to be the best dads that we can be, to be the best husbands, the best fathers, the best followers of Christ that we can be for the sake of our families, for the sake of our community, and ultimately for the sake of the entire world, that people may see the love of Christ modeled and demonstrated through us. So dads, happy Father's Day. We celebrate you. And yeah, we can, we can clap for that. What better way to begin a sermon and celebrate dads than I want to tell you a dad joke uh, today for uh, the beginning of our, our sermon. So we know that uh, obviously, with the pandemic that's been going down, going on, the beaches have been shut down around the coasts of our country. And so there was a story this week. I don't know if you heard the story, but there was a story in California where they've recently reopened the beaches. A guy's walking along the beach, and he finds something in the sand. And he picks it up, and he thinks to himself, this couldn't possibly be what I think it is. This is too good to be true. But he's staring at what appears to be a genie's magic, a magic genie lamp that he's found on a California beach. And so he's looking at it. He thinks, well, I, I'll give it a try. And he rubs the lamp and out pops a genie. Kids, of course, that didn't happen, right? This, go with the, this is the dad joke. So he rubs the lamp, out pops the genie. And the genie says to him, look, it's been, it's been a long couple of months. A lot of things have been happening. I'm going to cut to the chase. You've got one wish. And so the, the guy thinks to himself, okay, one wish. What would I do for my one wish? He, he thinks, well, okay. And he says to the genie, well, my, my wife would really like to go to Hawaii. It's always been her dream that we would take our kids and our family to Hawaii. But see, the problem is she's also deathly afraid of flying. 
So my one wish is, I wish that you would build a bridge to Hawaii so that we can drive there. And the genie looks at the guy and he says, are you kidding me? Do you, know how, do you know how much that would cost? Do you know how much concrete work would go? Do you know how hard it would be to maintain that road? We have a hard enough time maintaining the roads that we already have. You think I'm going to build a bridge from California to Hawaii? The guy says, okay, 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 okay. Well, and so he thinks for a second. And he says, well, I want to I be a good husband. I want to be a... So, so my wish is, would you help me understand my wife? The genie looks at him and he says, so you want this bridge to have two lanes or four? That's my best dad joke for Father's Day, okay? But as we, begin, as we begin this study in the text today, the truth is that this is a passage of Scripture that if we, if we don't understand it rightly, if we take it out of context, it would be easy to look at a passage like this and try to spin it somehow in, in a way to use it for our advantage. Uh, it, it would be easy to look at a passage like this if you're a woman and say, oh, I don't know. It would be easy to look at a passage like this if you're a man and say, I'm not sure. It's important that we understand both the context in which it's given. It's important that we understand how this fits with the New Testament's instruction for, uh, for husbands and wives, followers of Jesus. It's important that we, even beyond that, that we see, as the Bible teaches us, the role that marriage plays in portraying the gospel for us, how marriage becomes a picture to us of the love that Jesus has for the church and the love that Jesus has for us as followers of Christ. And so I want us to see all of that in this text this morning. And there are two key themes that we're going to speak to that were actually introduced in last week's sermon. So if you were here last week, the passage of scripture that we studied, the latter part of 1 Peter chapter 2, we saw these themes of submission and honor were at the very heart of that passage of scripture. And they're going to be present again today in this passage. In fact, really, if you want to know just the simple outline for the message today, there it is. The words submission and honor. Those words are going to play a big part in understanding this text today and in seeing how this points us to the example of Jesus and the gospel and, and how we find ourselves as participants in the story of what God has been doing as we honor him and as we submit our lives to him. And marriage becomes a great signpost, a great billboard pointing the way to the gospel and the love of Christ for us. And that's ultimately at the heart of what this text is about. And so I want to read it together. And just as the text, we're going to study together chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And the first six verses are pointed at wives. Then the last verse is pointed toward husbands. And, and so we're going to deal with the section that's pointed to wives. And, and probably if you were to count my words in the sermon today, I probably have more words that will be aimed towards wives because that's the way that the text is structured. But men, I want to promise you that the heaviest words, the weightiest words, the most, what I feel like the most key words are actually for us as men, as husbands, dads, fathers, when we get to dealing with verse seven. So hold on, ladies, you hold on too, because when you hear the preacher start saying, all right, submit to your husband, I don't want you to mint uh, check out on me because there's actually something much greater that's going on here that we need to understand. In fact, let me just say this. These two themes, submission and honor, these words are emotional words for us. 
Those words, just the words themselves are tied to our emotions. They elicit an emotional response. When I tell you that you should submit, whether you're man or woman, if when I tell you that the gospel calls us to submit, that elicits an emotional response from us. When I tell you that the gospel tells us that we are to honor others, that elicits an emotional response to us. It's not all just a matter of seeing things in black and white, of executing the X's and O's. It's an emotional thing. And so I want to acknowledge the fact up front that these words, honor, submit, these are loaded terms. These are emotional terms. But it's important that we don't allow our emotions to stand in the way of the truth that Peter is sharing with the church here and that we don't allow our, mo- our emotions and, and maybe our emotional connection to these words, that we don't allow that to uh, maybe, maybe pre- preload our response to obedience. That, that what I mean to say is that, that we would understand that I need to come to this as best as I can to try to check those, uh, those, those preconceived ideas that I have, those biases that I might bring against those words, the emotional response, and I need to do my best to hear what the Word of God is saying so that I can respond in obedience to it, knowing that when we respond to the Word of God, when we are yielded to God's instruction, it gives life for us. And so let's consider together. Let's just jump in and read together chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to come back and deal with these two key themes of submission and honor. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So let's deal first of all with his instruction here to wives and this, this key theme, this key idea of submission. And so the, 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 uh, the statement that I would make to you as we, as we understand submission or we look at the idea of submission here is really it comes in the form of a question, okay? And that is how it, can a wife best submit to her husband? Because clearly here the, the call is for wives be subject to your husbands or submit to your husbands. The, 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 it could be e- equally translated that way. So if a wife is to submit to her husband or to be subject to her husband, how can she accomplish that according to the instruction that Peter is giving here? And I would say this, that a wife will best submit to her husband by first submitting to Jesus as Lord. You see, here's the key that I want you to understand, and we're going to dig into this in depth in just a minute, that how a wife treats her husband ultimately is a reflection of her spiritual condition. So we see here, Peter is writing to the church, and he's writing about this theme of submission, and he's He's giving a very specific instruction here that wives are to submit to their husband. But notice, notice something that's happening when we, when we read through the text. Notice that in context, there's something really important here that you might miss at first glance because it's sort of a cultural thing that doesn't necessarily register with us. It, it, it hits maybe just below our radar today. And that is that 
Peter is writing here to wives who are believers and whose husbands apparently are not. And we might think, well, okay, well, so she believes and he doesn't. But you, you have to understand that in Peter's day, that, that in and of itself is a pretty radical idea because a, a wife would believe as her husband believed. A wife would follow her husband's lead and, and whatever, whatever religion, whatever faith, whatever belief a husband had became the, the, the belief of his household. That's what his wife would believe. That's what his children would believe. That's what his family would follow and practice. And so the idea that somehow that a wife would have an, a belief of faith that was her own in and of itself, that's a, a, a very radical and liberal idea in its day, in its own context. And, and that maybe doesn't quite connect and register for us because it's, we think, well, of course, you know, we, we, we see something like that often, right? That you've got people that may not share, that are married, but may not share the, the same faith or maybe, perhaps maybe they share the same faith, but they're just at different places in, in their spiritual life, in their spiritual journey. And yet what, what Peter is saying to wives here is that wives, you are to submit to your husband's lead according to God's purpose and God's design. You're to follow his lead. You're to be subject to him according to God's instruction. But even in that, even in your submission, there's a purpose. And even in your submission, the purpose ultimately is about leading the way. Because you see, the purpose for a wife's submission or subjection, as Peter paints it here, is that she might win her husband to faith through showing the genuineness of her faith lived out in, in just the context of daily life. So let's look at this again. Be subject to your own husbands, he says in verse 1, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So the idea being that if there are husbands who don't believe, they might be won to the faith by the conduct, by the honorable conduct, the just conduct, the, even in its, as it says here, the submissive, subjective conduct of wives. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then he says this, and, and this is really where it gets to the heart of the matter. This is really where the heart of this submission comes into play, is that it's ultimately, it's about a woman's spiritual condition. Her actions reflect her spiritual condition. He says here in verse 3, Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Now, time out for just a moment. Is he saying that it's wrong to braid your hair or wear gold jewelry or certain kinds of clothing, I suppose? No, that's not the point. In its con that's not the point here. The point is... Don't put all of your focus on the external things. Don't put all of your focus, don't wrap up your worth and your identity and your image and, and your value in external things, but rather focus on the inward things. So don't, don't work to show everyone externally that you have it all together and neglect the, the, inner, the inner quality, the inner truth, the inner being, he's saying. Verse four, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So what Peter is saying is, look, don't, don't focus everything on the, on the external, on the outward, but instead focus on the internal. Be who God has called you to be, 
Be the person that the Lord has called you to be. Work on your inner self and let that then flow into everything else that you do. So this idea of adornment is so key. It's so important. In fact, we can point back from this. We, we see, again, one of, the, one of these themes of Scripture. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we see where Samuel goes to, the prophet Samuel goes to anoint David as the future king. And, and all of Jesse's sons are lined up from oldest to youngest, minus David. And Samuel's looking at the line of Jesse's sons, and he's thinking to himself, the oldest born, this must be, I mean, this guy's He's handsome, he's strong, he's well-built. I mean, he's all the qualities that Israel would want in a leader. And God speaks to Samuel and says, I want you to ignore him and ignore the rest of them because I don't look, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And therein is an important lesson that we learn early on in the scripture. And it's carried over even into this passage. God is more concerned about our inner character than the outward adornment. God is more concerned with who you are truly, your integrity, who you are in your inner self when no one is watching than with what everyone else sees. Because this is a key principle that is true on page after page after scripture. That if God has your heart, then eventually everything else is going to come in line. Your behavior is going to flow from who you are. If God has your heart, if, God, if, if the Lord is working on you in the, in the inner self, then everything else is going to fit in its due season. And so, Peter writes here, don't focus on the external, focus on the internal. And then he gives the example here of Sarah. He gives the example here of Sarah with Abram, saying that, uh, this is how women of old did, that they, they, were, they were honorable women, they were holy women, and he says that they would... Submit to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The picture of what, again, of what Peter is painting here is that we're to follow the example of key women, follow the example of others who have, for us, who have given us uh, an example to follow, who have, so to speak, have, have shown the way through their obedience to God, obedience to the Lord's direction. Now, when you know the story of Sarah and Abraham, then again, this begins to make sense. Because we, we read in the Old Testament on two different occasions, Abraham essentially gave his wife to another man and said, well, she's my sister. And, and another man took her to be his for a season and until God intervened in both instances. And, and listen, that's, that, go, that flies a little beyond the, the scope of what we're, we're, we're going to dig into today to fully di digest how that happened and why the Lord would allow that to happen. And, and, but, but understand this key element of that story as it relates to our text this morning. What Peter is saying is that even when, even when Abraham did wrong, even when Abraham did not honor the Lord, did not stand for his wife, did not do what was right, she still went along and that God used her even to help steer and direct his heart, which we see in the story of, of Sarah and Abraham. And what we see even here is that that's the point. That wives, if you will honor God and you will follow his leadership and his plan, then he will use you to lead the way for your husband, for your family. So what, is, what does it mean for a wife to, to submit? 
Practically speaking, what does it mean for a wife to submit? I want to first talk about a few things of what submission is not, okay? Let's talk about a few things that submission is not. And then I want us to see accordingly what submission is. First of all, submission is, does not mean agreeing with everything that your husband says. Okay? It doesn't mean that you don't have a mind for yourself if, as, as a wife. It doesn't mean that in order to submit to your husband, that you just have to go along with everything that he says, that he is your Lord, that he is your, your master. And no, rather it means that you're willing to follow his lead. Submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will behind when you get married. You don't, you don't abandon those things. You don't abandon your hopes and your dreams. It doesn't mean that, that all of your identity and all of your, your being is now wrapped up in your husband. Submission does not mean avoiding even the effort to change your husband. Submission does not mean that, that you shouldn't pray for him, that you shouldn't try to affect change in his heart, that you shouldn't lead the way for him. Submission does not mean putting the will of your husband before the will of God, that he somehow, that, that, that his word or his lead uh, surpasses even that of the, the teaching of Scripture, the direction of the Lord in, in your life. It doesn't mean that you put the will of, a, of, of any man, of, of your husband, above the will of the Lord. Submission does not mean that a wife gets all her personal spiritual strength through her husband, that, that her relationship with the Lord somehow flows through him. That's not what it means for a wife to submit to, be subject to her husband. And, and also, I think importantly, submission does not mean that a wife is to act out of fear, that she has to fear what will happen or, 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 or be timid or, or afraid uh, Rather, submission, when we rightly understand it, is this beautiful picture of strength, of dignity, of, of uh, leadership even. And in fact, if, if those are all the things that we would say submission isn't, well, then the question is, what is submission? What does submission look like? Oh, I wrote this out. I'm going to read it just the way I've written it because I really thought deeply on uh, these words. That submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's role and to help carry it out according to her gifts. It's the divine calling of a wife, meaning that God is the one who has given a wife this instruction. It's the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's role and to help carry it through according to her gifts, the exercise of her gifts. It's the, it's the disposition to follow his lead. It's the attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you are passive and I have to make sure that the family works. Submission is about support. Submission is about, is, is accountability. Ultimately, Submission is spiritual leadership. Because how a wife treats her husband, as I've said, is a reflection of her spiritual condition. So, our first major theme is the theme of submission. How does a wife submit to her husband? By first submitting her heart to Jesus as Lord. But husbands... For all of the words and, and all of the attention and the focus given in this passage to wives, I really believe the key here is for us, is for husbands, 
men, as leaders. There's one verse, but this verse is packed full of some powerful teaching that I don't want you to miss today. And that has to do with this second theme, the theme of honor. Well, just as we ask the question, how is a wife to submit to her husband by first submitting to Jesus as Lord? It's a similar pattern that we see. How is a husband to best honor his wife? By first honoring Jesus as Lord of his heart and his life. And so let's read verse 7 again, and then we're going to break it down. Verse 7, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You know, uh, th- th- this idea of bestowing honor on the woman as the weaker vessel, what, what, is, what does Peter mean when he says that, of showing honor to the woman? Well, he doesn't mean, when he, when he refers to the woman here as the weaker vessel, he's not meaning that women are weak. He's, not, he's, he's speaking quite literally about their physical status. He's, he's, he's using that word in a very, in a very physical way. And in other words, he's saying, listen, the, the woman is vulnerable. Your wife is vulnerable. She, particularly when you understand in the culture of the day, when a wife didn't have the, the, maybe the, the rights or the privileges that women have in our modern culture, in our modern American society, that women were seen more as property, more as uh, really truly as, uh, we, well, I don't think it's stretching the truth to say that women were seen as uh, the property or the complete possession of their husbands. And yet, here we have women who have been reasoning for themselves, thinking for themselves, coming to faith in Christ. And Peter doesn't say, well, you women shouldn't think for yourselves. You shouldn't have a mind of your own. You should just do what your husband says. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, as you honor Christ, follow your husband so that you might win him for the sake of the gospel, so that you might influence him. And just as we saw that for wives... How a wife treats her husband is a reflection of her spiritual condition. That is absolutely at work in this text, in this verse for husbands as well. How a husband treats his wife, how a husband honors his wife ultimately is a reflection of his spiritual condition. And so we see this theme again and again in scripture that God is pleased to give honor to those who are weaker or to use something that seems less honored in the eyes of the world to express his glory. Matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 12 we have the beatitudes. But listen Listen to some of these words with again with the mind toward the the, the focus being on the idea that those things which we might consider to be weaker or less are honored or elevated in God's economy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew writes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. 
Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He goes on to say later in that same letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 12, verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on the unpresentable parts, we treat them with greater modesty, which our our presented parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Do you see that? That God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. In other words, in God's economy, he wants to shine the light of honor on those things which we think in the world are are lowly. And in Peter's day, they considered women lowly. And so Peter's saying, no, honor your wives. Listen to her. Lead her well. Love her. Take care of her. Because in doing that, you demonstrate ultimately your faith in Christ and your, and, and your spiritual condition. James chapter 2, verse 5. James, the, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says that God chose those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. We Again, we see that theme. James chapter 4, verse 6. James again writes, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter echoes that very truth later in this letter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says the very same thing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So again and again and again, the witness of Scripture is, those things which you consider less than you, those things which you consider are beneath you or below you somehow, which according to the prevailing norms of Peter's day, that's how a woman was compared to her husband. Peter's saying, give honor those things. Show your faith in Christ by honoring everyone, and especially by husbands honoring their wives. So why? We've, how, okay, how does, a, how does a husband honor his wife by first honoring Christ as Lord? But why? There are two key reasons in this verse that I want you to see. Two key reasons. First, she is your equal. Now understand, in Peter's day, that's a radical idea. But Peter is saying to husbands, your wife is your equal. Look at what he says specifically. The, the latter part here. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. That word heirs actually in some other English translations is, is actually translated co-heirs. They are heirs with you. They are co-heirs of the grace of life. She has the same worth, the same value, the same dignity, the same place in God's kingdom. Her role may be different, but Her worth is nothing short of of on par, of of equal. And so what a radical idea that Peter is saying. Now, it's not all that radical to us, of course, because for one, we live in a different cultural context. And two, we have hundreds of years of study of the scripture. In fact, it's, it's scriptures like this that have actually helped shape the prevailing norms of our day, that women are seen as equal because along the way, men and women of God, Christians, believers, have contended that no, she's not your property, she's your equal. And yet, so often as husbands, we struggle with truly treating our wives as equals. 
when the, when the day-to-day pressures and the day-to-day realities and, the, and, and, and just the, the fast-paced rhythms of our lives apply the pressure and the stresses that we all feel. So why should husbands honor their wives? Because, because she's your equal in the kingdom of God. She's created with value as an image bearer of the Lord just as you are, just as all people are. And secondly, and this is an important reason as well, how you treat your wife is a direct reflection of your spiritual condition. So he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's the last phrase. So that your prayers... Now, in order to really understand that, we have to sort of... Uh, we, have to, we have to imply the opposite. So if a husband is not to treat his wife as an equal, if he is not to honor his wife by first honoring Christ as Lord and then honoring her as his equal, then his prayer life will be hindered. That's what Peter's saying. Men, if you don't honor your wife and you don't honor Christ as Lord, then, then it, it has an effect on your spiritual life. In fact, it's really a reflection of your spiritual condition. So why does a husband honor his wife? Well, she's his equal because ultimately it's a reflection of his spiritual condition. Hear me, men. You cannot be the man that God wants you to be if you do not honor your wife. It's just that plain in the scripture. You will not be the man that the Bible has called you to be. You will not be the husband, the the father. You will not be the person the Lord has called you to be if you do not honor and obey his word. So I want to give you in closing today, just four practical ways that we as men can honor our wives. And I'll tell you that I didn't actually, these, these, these next four points, uh, I have taken from a material that's called men's fraternity. Years ago, when I was serving on staff at a different church, and, and actually this was when uh, I remember it vividly because it was in a season of life when I was a brand new dad. Pike was very young and, uh, and, and we were literally in our earliest days and weeks of being parents. And our church began a program called Men's Fraternity. And I'll, I'll never forget the key lessons that I learned along the way that helped shape my approach to being a husband and a father and still affect me to this day. And according to Men's Fraternity, here are four ways. We've done that study here before as a church. It's probably one that we ought to bring back and do again at some point in, in, in the future if, if things allow. But, but here are four things that we learn according to this study of what a real man looks like. And I think every one of these fit with the very heart and the character of what Peter is saying here. First of all, A real man is one who rejects passivity. The natural inclination of men is to be passive, is just to sit back. And why why do we do that? Why did Adam do it, the first man? And why do we continue to wrestle with that? Well, because I think this is one of the, this is the very heart of how Satan, how the enemy attacks us as husbands, as fathers. But a real man is one who, who will reject passivity, who will reject the desire to be passive, who will instead Secondly, accept responsibility. Who will understand his God-given, his divine call to step up, to be responsible, and lead the way. It doesn't mean that women don't have a voice. It doesn't mean that women can't lead. It doesn't mean that they are somehow less. It just means that in God's plan, according to God's design, he has put a responsibility on men in the family to lead the way. Third, 
A man is one who leads courageously. As he rejects passivity, as he accepts his responsibility, his divine call, he, he purposes in his heart to lead the way, to lead courageously. And as we see in this example, in this text, part of how he does that is by honoring his wife, by setting a good example, by loving her, cherishing her, honoring her, being the spiritual leader the Lord has made him to be. And finally, he expects God's greater reward, which is to say this simply, that he believes that God will do what God said he would do. That if I will reject passivity, if I will accept responsibility, if I will lead courageously, if I will be the man that the Lord has called me to be, if I will do the things God has designed for me to do and called me to do in his word, then I can expect that God will bless me and that God will provide according to his word, according to his truth. I can expect that God is going to do what he said he would do if I will honor and obey him and honor my wife. Now, if we're being just really, truly honest, it's easy to look at a text like this and it's easy to say, okay, I get that that's what the Bible teaches. I understand but you don't really know what, you know, but at my house, really, this is, listen, hear me. And I mean this for husbands and wives, for men and women, equally alike. I am not standing before you today saying, oh, this is easy. Just go do this. I'm not standing before you today saying that I'm perfect at all of this or that I always get it right. And so you need, listen, I'm in the struggle. I'm in the fray. I'm, I, I sh, I'm working through this in my own spiritual growth and my own sanctification as much as any other man in the room. But I'm here to tell you that I have seen it and I believe it, that if we will do as the Lord has called us to do, that he will lead and bless according to the promise of his word. And I mean that to every husband and every wife in the room. You don't, you don't just have to take my word for it. You're, you're literally, you're, you're trusting in the word of God and putting it to practice in your life. And I know that it gets complicated. I know that it gets messy because we're talking about sinful people that all of our issues get in the fray, get in the mix. And I know that, okay? It gets messy. But if you will do your best to honor Christ as Lord and to follow his design for your life, and the teaching of scripture, I promise you, I promise you, the Lord will bless you and he will use you to impact your family first and through that to become a demonstration of the gospel. And I'll close finally with this passage of scripture. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 32, Paul's writing about marriage. And in verse 31, he quotes Jesus, who himself was quoting Moses from the book of Genesis that says that a man shall leave his father and mother and take a wife and the two will become one flesh. Jesus adds to that the statement that I'm telling you the truth that God has joined together, let man not separate. And then this, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 32, Paul writes this, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage, God's design in marriage is to reflect the picture of the gospel between Christ and the church. You see, as husbands, we struggle to be the kind of husbands that we ought to be. 
As, as husbands, we struggle to be the kind of men, the kind of dads that we ought to be, but we serve a God who never fails, who honors his bride, who gave everything for his bride, who will never leave her, who will never forsake her, who will never turn his back on her, who will never let her down. And although we can't be perfect, we're called to follow the example of Christ. And as wives, you're not perfect, you can't be perfect, you can't do it right all the time, but the example that you're to follow is the example of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, who loves Jesus, who loves the groom, who is yielded and submitted to his divine authority, his perfect leadership. Our leadership as husbands is not perfect. It's not, it's far from it, in fact, but it becomes a reflection of the gospel as we work through the messiness of life and work it out. And so what I'm saying is for the sake of the gospel and the, and the world that's watching, let's do everything that we can to honor Christ as Lord and to be yielded to him according to his design for our lives. Because in doing that, we reflect the gospel. We're going to take a moment this morning to, to really think on this truth. And we're going to sing a song together. And even as we sing this song together, there's going to be a time for us to reflect on these words and, and allow it just to, to hit home with us and, and, and sort of begin processing it in our spirit. And then after we do that, after we sing this song and we take this moment for reflection, I'm going to come back and I'm going to direct our response. I'm going to talk about some simple ways that we respond to this truth today. But would you prepare with me for this moment of, of reflection of this truth as we as we pray together and then we sing this song together. Lord, we pray that you would use this truth to shape our lives, to shape our hopes, to shape our desires, to shape our response to you so that in our example, we might demonstrate the hope of the gospel for a world that's watching. Jesus, use us for your sake, for your glory, that we may demonstrate your goodness, your love, and the hope that we have in you. We pray all of this in your name.